0: Amen. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for another day that you have made that we can come into your house. We can come into your courts to worship you, to praise you, to honor you, to glorify you, to lift up your name, to give you all the praise, Lord. Father, we pray for your presence to be with us. We pray for your Holy Spirit to minister to us. We pray for your Shekinah glory to come in this place. Lord, we pray for healing. We pray for restoration. We pray for your blessing. Lord, we pray that the words that will be spoken will be straight from you. We pray, Father, that your name will be honored and glorified in this place today. We give you honor. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Praise God. The topic of our of our message this morning will be consider your ways and put god first consider your ways and put god first you know how often do we think about what we are doing think about our lives think about where we are going think about where we're headed think about whether you know we are in the will of god do you spend regular time in prayer Regular time in meditation, regular time in reading the Word of God, so that the searchlight of God can shine in our hearts and reveal the hidden things—those things that we don't want exposed. You know, (laughs) I was listening to a pastor. I don't know if you've ever heard his name—a man called David Parson. He died this year; was ninety years old last year. He was ninety years old. Um, He's a Bible teacher, and he said that. One time, as ministers of God, as preachers, as, as, as teachers, you know that you're going to come under fire at some point. People will say things about you, right? And he said some people in the church started to say some things about him that he said wasn't true, right? But it was, uh, it was defamation of his character, and it was causing some problems. And, he, and he, he prayed to God and asked God to help him how to deal with it. And God said to him, my son, I don't remember the exact words, but I'm paraphrasing. he said, like, my son, don't worry about it. Because if they really know the truth, you'd be in a worse situation. Because you know, sometimes, you know, we have things in our lives that are hidden. Yeah? And we, you know, we don't want nobody to know about them. But how often do we spend time in reflection on what God is doing or what God is saying to us? I mentioned earlier this morning that when I was, you know, a young child, eight, nine years, I was really afraid of my dad. You know, I had a fear for him because he would punish us severely whenever we, you know, all my my siblings, you know, he would punish us severely whenever we did anything wrong. And it wasn't because he didn't like us. My dad loved us, but he just didn't know any, any better, you know, how to discipline and correct. If we did anything wrong, it was a whipping, you know, and I was so afraid of him. And I would, whenever I see him, you know, um, if I was in the house and he was in the living room, I would make sure I go in the bedroom. If he was in the bedroom, I'd be in another room. I wouldn't want to be where he was. And I always thought that he knew what I was thinking at that age. You know, we think weird things. I didn't say this this morning, but another thing that, I, thing that I used to think when I was, I don't know, about 8, 9, which may be weird. I don't know if you anybody used to think this way. I used to think when I closed my eyes, nobody couldn't see me. Yeah? So I don't know if anybody, yeah, okay, right. So I'm not that weird then, right? I used to think if I closed my eyes, no, you know, somebody, nobody could see me, you know. But thank God for saving grace, you know. Thank God for saving grace. I think about the strengths, my strengths, my weaknesses at nights. When I lie down, I think about what God is doing and sometimes God may even speak to me and say, "Look, you need to improve in this area. You need to change. You need to stop doing this. You didn't you didn't do what was right. You need to correct this what you did." And you know, sometimes, you know, we may say things to people that are not nice. I remember there was a time, there was a day when I was coming to to Rock Teens. It was a Friday evening and I was late. And there was a workman and every time he came to me, it was about, if you know workmen, it was about money. He wanted some money. And it wasn't payday. And he would come and he a say, boss, you know, I need some money to go do this or do that, right? And I don't know, the, I was I got, re- I was ready about to go into my car and the guy came to me and he said, boss, um, more of a small word with you. You know when it's a small word, it's always something to do with money, right? More of a small word with you. And I said to him, before he even said anything else, I said to him, listen, whatever it is, if your mother even are dead, I'm not going to, don't come talk to me, right? And I left and I, and Paulette, my wife heard, I came to Rock Teens and when I went home, afterwards she said, you know, what you said to him wasn't nice you know? She said, well, what if his mother was dying? Wouldn't you help him? And I said, I thought about it. I said, yes, I would, you know, but what I said at the time wasn't nice, you know? And sometimes we have got to think about what we've said, what we're doing, you know, sometimes, you know, I was on my way to church, and I was late, and I was rushing to come to church, and that's what I said, you know? We have to think about what we're doing. And if you know that you're on the wrong path, we need to correct it. We need to know that we're in the will of God, this morning, I want us to look at consider your ways and put God first. And I want to look at a time in the Bible when God actually said to his people, consider your ways. That's straight from the Bible, that phrase, consider your ways. Turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Haggai chapter 1, and we'll stand and we'll say the declaration. But, and I'll read Haggai chapter 1, verses 1 to 12. When you found it, you could stand. Haggai chapter 1. Haggai is in the Old Testament. One of the minor prophets. Haggai chapter 1. Now let's say the declaration uh, this is God's word, not Brother David's word. I am what it says I am, I can do what it says I can do, I can be what it says I can be, and I will have what it says I can have. Today I will hear the word of God, I boldly declare that my mind is alert, my heart is receptive, my ears are opened, and I better not go to sleep. I will never be the same, in Jesus' name, amen, praise God. Haggai chapter 1, verses 1 to 12. I'll read and you can follow. In the, year, in the second year of King Darius, in the second month on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet to Zerubbabel, the son of Sheltiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, saying, Thus speaks the Lord of hosts, saying, This people says, The time has not come, The time that the Lord's house should be built. Then the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet saying, Is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses? And this temple lie in ruins. Now therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You have sown much and bring in little. You eat but do not have enough. You drink but you are not filled with drink. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages, earns wages to put it into a bag with holes. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Go up to the mountains and bring wood and build the temple. And I will take pleasure in it and be glorified, says the Lord. You look for much, but indeed it came to little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. Why, says the Lord of hosts, because my house which is in ruins, while every one of you runs to his own house. Therefore, the heavens above you withhold the dew, and the earth withhold its fruit. For I call for a drought on the land and the mountains, on the grain and the new wine and the oil, on whatever the ground brings forth, on men and livestock and on all the labor of your hands. Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel and Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and all the remnant of the people obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the words of Haggai the prophet as the Lord their God had sent him and the people feared the presence of the Lord. Amen. This is the word of God. You may be seated. Now in order to understand what is happening, and that's why I have all these props here, yeah, we need to look at the background or the history to the story. The people of God, the Jews, had been in captivity for 70 years. For 70 long years, they had been in captivity, and this was because of their disobedience. Disobedience brings, has consequences. You know, our parents tried to teach us that from a very early age that we should learn to be obedient obedient to your parents, obedient to your teachers, obedient to your elders. And disobedience has consequences. The first sin was disobedience. When when Eve sinned, she disobeyed God. And Adam sinned, he disobeyed God. Disobedience has consequences. Last week when Pastor Omar spoke about Joshua as he led the people of God across the River Jordan and into the Promised Land, they had to destroy or get rid of the enemies, the Amalekites, the Jebusites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, and all the Aites. God told them they had to wipe out the enemies. Right? And God told them that if they were obedient, if they obeyed his commands, if they lived according to his statutes, then they would possess the land, they would live in the land, they would enjoy the fruits of the land. They lived in the land for hundreds of years. Right? There were many kings, but unfortunately, they disobeyed God. They worshipped idols. They did the things that God commanded them not to do. They intermarried with other nations that God told them not to do that. And eventually, God also told them that if they didn't obey him, he would drive them. He would take them out of the land. Somebody else would, would occupy their own land. And Bible history tells us there were two exiles, right? After King Solomon, after King Solomon, the kingdom was split into two. We had the northern kingdom of Israel, right, which consisted of the ten tribes, and then we had the southern kingdom of Judah. It was the tribe of Judah and Benjamin, right? There was two, there was a split in the kingdom. And in 721 BC, because of the disobedience of the people of God in the northern kingdom. God allowed the Assyrians to conquer the northern kingdom of Israel and to take them into captivity. So I'll put a cover over them so you won't see them anymore right here. And I'll put a little Israel over here with the Assyrians. Now we won't won't talk much about them anymore because because They are considered the lost tribes of Israel, right? Not much more is said about them. They're the lost tribes of Israel. And the southern kingdom existed, the kingdom of Judah, right? And God continually pleaded with his people. He sent prophets to speak to them, to remind them of their covenant with him, to obey him, to do his will. And they continued in their sin they were good kings hezekiah josiah were good kings but they they were also bad kings and they continued to disobey god and god eventually sent the babylonians here is babylon god eventually sent the babylonians to conquer them and to bring them into captivity to bring them into captivity i said disobedience has sin sorry has consequences the southern kingdoms were taken, kingdom was taken into captivity over a period of time. A lot of people believe it was just one time the Babylonians came and, and took all of them away and put them into captivity. But it took place over maybe 20 years. It started in 606 BC when the Babylonians came and took the top layer of the people, the cream of the crop, the princes and the rulers, and that's when Daniel... We know the story of Daniel in the lands then. Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, they were taken in the first exile. They were taken over to Babylon, right? And at that time, the king Nebuchadnezzar, he placed customs, duties, and taxes on the people. And as long as they paid their dues, everything was fine. But they rebelled after um, nearly nine or ten years, they started to rebel and and. Nebuchadnezzar went again and took another layer of people, right? That's when um, Ezekiel went over to Babylon. After that, the people rebelled again, and maybe another 10 years. So this was in uh, 586 BC now, when um, Nebuchadnezzar got so angry with the people because they were rebelling against him. He came and he besieged the city. Right, and he starved the people. He cut off their food. He cut off their water. The people were dying. There was cannibalism taking place. You know, um, they were suffering. And Nebuchadnezzar eventually they, they they bombarded the gates and they got into the city and they burned the houses. They destroyed the temple. They killed a lot of people, and they took all the golden articles back to Babylon. And so eventually, Judah was taken into exile, and we cover them over because I want you to get the message. They were taken into exile, and I'll put a little Judah right over here in Babylon. Okay, so now the people of God are in Babylon because of their disobedience. They're in Babylon. And they were in Babylon for 70 years. For 70 long years. Um, a point that I should have mentioned was that while Nebuchadnezzar uh, captured Judah, King Zedekiah tried to escape. Right, that was the king that was ruling Judah at the time. He tried to escape. Um, it said that he tried to escape in the night, and he was. They had a special tunnel which he went through, and Nebuchadnezzar and his army caught him, and they. He killed his sons in front of him and they gouged out his eyes and they took him back to Babylon in in shackles. But one of the things that happened was that the temple was destroyed. The temple in Jerusalem was destroyed. Now we have to remember that the temple was the pride of Israel. or Sorry, the pride of the people. The temple was the center of the Jewish life. Everything that they did revolved around the temple. The temple was what made them special. The temple was what separated them from other nations. The temple was where God dwelt for them. You know, wherever they were in the, in the land, they would, and they were praying, they would turn their eyes in the direction of the temple, and they would pray, and God would hear their voice. God would hear them. In Psalm 137 and verse 1, it says, By the rivers of Babylon, there we sat down and we wept when we remembered Zion. You have to remember that this was a great tragedy for the Jewish people. This was the lowest, one of the lowest points in their history. This was terrible, right? The priests had no work to do anymore. The Levites had no work. They were in exile from their own land. This was a time when they were cut off from God. The temple made them different from other people. This is where Jehovah dwelt. This is where they could come to God and they would have answered prayers. This is where they would be forgiven of their sins. Every year the priest would offer sacrifices and they would be forgiven of their sins. That was something special that they had that no other nation had this special relationship that they had with god so when they lost the temple when they lost their means of sacrifice the passover time their forgiveness of sins this was a terrible tragedy and a terrible loss for them you've got to understand that so they were in babylon they were in babylon for 70 years now, how did they get back to Jerusalem? How did they get back to their, to their homeland? God, in his wisdom, right? God, in his providence, allowed them to go back to Judah. Oh, sorry, allowed them to go back to Jerusalem. Right? Right? And how God did that was, he allowed Persia, another nation, to come and conquer Babylon. Right? Persia came and conquered Babylon. Right? And the king of Persia at the time was King Cyrus. The king at the time was King Cyrus. And God moved the heart of King Cyrus to let the people go back to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple. Because Nebuchadnezzar was not going to let them go, but God in his wisdom and God in his providence allowed the people of Judah to go back to to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple. We see this in Ezra chapter 1, verses 1 to 2. Now in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, So that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and also put it in writing saying, Thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, all the kingdoms of the earth the Lord God of heaven has given me and he has commanded me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Who is among you? Of all his people, may his God be with him and let him go to Jerusalem, which is in Judah and build the house of the Lord God of Israel. He is God, which is in Jerusalem. And whoever is left in any place where he dwells, let the men of his place help him with silver and gold, with goods and livestock, besides the freewill offerings for the house of God, which is in Jerusalem. God stirred up the heart of Cyrus, king of Persia. Persia had conquered Babylon, right? And the children of God that were in Babylon at the time, God allowed King Cyrus to make a proclamation that they could go back to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple. God used Cyrus in a special way. You know, and that proves to me that God can use anyone, whether the person is a Christian or not. God can use them to do his will, do his purposes, and accomplish what he wants to accomplish. Whether your boss is a Christian or not, God can move that person to, uh, to do things that will accomplish his will. God is still in control. Last year, pastor spoke about this. God is still in control. And the person doesn't have to be a Christian for God to move them to accomplish his will. Amen? You just have to pray and believe that God will do what is necessary to accomplish his will. So Cyrus made a proclamation that the the children could go back to Jerusalem. So they went back to Jerusalem, and their task now was to rebuild the temple, right? Here we have exposed now the temple, to rebuild the temple of God, and to resettle there. But it's amazing, it's amazing that not all the people, and I leave Judah here because there were still people left back in Babylon, even though they were told that they could go back to Judah to build the temple, not all of them left. In fact, most of them still remained in Babylon. Most of them still remained. I don't know the exact number, but more stayed in Babylon than went back to Jerusalem. About 50,000 of the remnant went back to, to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple. And you might ask, why why didn't more of them go back? You know, sometimes we can get very comfortable here on earth. You know, some of us, we get so comfortable that we stop thinking about heaven. And we even, you know, it's almost like we forget that this earth is not our home. Right? We are just passing through. And just like pastor said, you know, if somebody, you know, asked you to give up all your money, would you give it up? You know, give up your house or give up what, you know, all your possessions, would you give it up? But at some point, you've got to leave it. You cannot take it with you. You know, we came naked into the world and we'll go naked, you know? But the people, sometimes you get very comfortable here and get distracted from what God really wants us to do. Now, some of the reasons why some people didn't go back, some of the people that were in Babylon would have been too old to go back. You know, if, you, if, they were, if they went there when they were 30, they'd be 100 years old now. If they went there when they were 1, now they'd be 71 years old. Right? And so some were too old to go back. Some didn't want to go because they were already settled and they were already happy in Babylon. They were doing business. You know, I heard one person say that the Jews know how to do business, right? And wherever they go and wherever they settle... They make money. They know how to make money and to start, and to start businesses and to, and to increase in their wealth. Right? There's a story which was told about this, this Jewish man who, who came to America and he started, um, he started a little store. And it said that the store was between two big, um, gigantic stores Right, his store was right in the middle of the two stores, and you know what? You know what he named his store? Entrance. <laughs> he named his store entrance. So everybody who comes to the two, to, the two stores would come in his store first and see what's there before they would get into the other store. You know, they say they're very clever at business and how to make money. Some of them would have families with children. Now the distance from Babylon. ...to Jerusalem, it was 900 miles. And in those days, to travel 900 miles was not an easy distance. It's estimated that it would take four months to make that distance. And then, it's not like today where you might have a car or a truck or whatever van. You could sleep in it at nights. They had to walk. They had to sleep out in the open. And I don't think, you, you know, I mean, there was no hotels along the way that they could stop and sleep overnight... They had to sleep outdoors. It was a tough journey to make—900 miles, an estimate of four months to take. Some didn't want the hard. Some of some people, some of the the Jews didn't go back because they were not prepared to do the hard work. They knew it would be tough. They knew it would be hard work, and they didn't want to go. Some who were born in Babylon would not have known Jerusalem, and they were indifferent. They were indifferent to the work of God and what was happening so they wouldn't go. The next group of people are those who were disobedient. I can imagine that there were some who would have heard the proclamation, but they were disobedient. Their hearts were hard, and they couldn't bother. They didn't want to go back. And finally, there were those whose hearts, the Bible says, those whose hearts were moved by God went back to Jerusalem. God has to move your heart. God has to move your heart. You know, sometimes, you know, God may speak to you and you don't move. And then he might speak to you another time. And that happens to me on several occasions where I, you know, you feel that prompting more than once. And you know that God is moving your heart. You know, God has to move your heart. And I said, Pastor... No matter how you preach, no matter how you teach, no matter how you urge people, unless God moves their heart, they will not move. God has to move the, your heart. And I pray that God is moving your heart right now. I pray that God is stirring your heart, that you have a heart of flesh, that when God speaks to you, right, he can touch your heart and you can feel the movement of God and do what he's telling you to do. Amen. Now, this was a joyous time for the people of God. You can imagine those who left Babylon and went back to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple. It was an exciting time for them because the temple was the center of their life. To rebuild the temple meant that they would now be the people of God once again. They would have a center or a place of worship. The temple was their pride and their joy of of their nation. The thing that set them apart from the other nations. So they were excited to go build the temple of God. They were ready. God had miraculously moved them where he allowed King Cyrus to give them a proclamation to go back. And they not only go back, but he provided them with all the financial resources and the materials that they needed to rebuild the temple. This was a unique structure. But as soon as they started to build the temple, imagine, God provided everything they needed. The resources they needed to start to rebuild the temple. But as soon as they started to build the temple, they were faced with opposition. They were faced with opposition. Isn't that amazing? God provided them a miracle so they could go back. God provided them the resources to go back, the materials they needed. But as soon as they started to build, they were faced with opposition. Last week, Pastor Omar said, every challenge has an obstacle. Those who were, who were here last week or listened online, every challenge has an obstacle. And the bigger the obstacle, the greater the miracle. Amen? Amen. The bigger the obstacle, the greater the miracle. As soon as they started to build, they were faced with opposition. Their neighbors, the Bible says their neighbors, their enemies, the Samaritans, when they heard about the rebuilding of the temple, they wanted to partner with them in the rebuilding work. Ezra chapter 4, verse 1 to 4 says, When the enemies of Judah and Benjamin heard that the children of the captivity builded the temple unto the Lord God of Israel. Then they came to Zerubbabel and the chief of the fathers and said unto them, Let us build with you, for we seek your God as you do, and we sacrifice unto him since the days of Eshar Hadon, king of Assyria, who brought us here. But Zerubbabel and Jeshua and the priests of the chief of the fathers of Israel said unto them, We have nothing to do with you. Have nothing to do with us to build an house unto our God. But we ourselves together will build unto the Lord of Israel, as King Cyrus of Persia had commanded us. You know, as people of God, we have to be careful who we partner with. We have to be careful who we associate with. We have to be careful when God gives us a directive to do something. You know, sometimes the first thing we start thinking about is how we're going to find the resources or how, who we're going to get to help us. And we are looking for partners to help us, right? And we have to be careful in doing that because sometimes the enemy will come and want to partner with us. They will come as angels of light. They will come in a different form or, or, or they're... Their proposal will look great. It will look good. Like they really want to help us. We have to be careful who we partner with. The Bible tells us we are not to be unequally yoked with unbelievers. What fellowship has light with darkness? We have to be careful. That is why we ought to seek the face of God at all times. We have to make sure that whatever we are doing, whoever we are working with, Those are the people that God wants us to work with. You know, it's better you do the work of God, and as God told you to do, and to take time and do it. Some people, some of us, we want the glamour and the glitz. We want to do it big. So we're looking for people to help us. But make sure that the people that are helping us are children of God, right? And that we're not being unequally yoked. So because the children of God refused to work with the Samaritans, they opposed the work. Now you imagine, somebody come and offer to work with you, and you say, no, I've got it. It's okay, I can manage. You know, It's, it's all good. And because you refuse them the opportunity to work with you, they now begin to oppose you. They come as your friend to help you, but now you tell them, no, you don't need their help. They start opposing you." That proves that they were your enemy from the beginning, and they didn't mean you any good. Because why would they now oppose you? Exactly. Praise God. In Ezra chapter four it says, "And the people of the Lord tried to discourage the people of the land, tried to discourage the people of Judah, they troubled them in their building. The Bible says they hired counselors against them to frustrate their purpose all the days of Cyrus, king of Persia, even until the reign of Darius, king of Persia. From one king to the other, they were trying to discourage them. In modern language, that means they got lawyers. They hired counselors. They hired surveyors. They hired the top people that they could to discourage and stop, to hinder and obstruct, and slow down, and frustrate the work of God. They went as far as to write write in a letter to the king of Persia, telling the king that if these people build the temple, if these people are allowed to build the temple, they will no longer pay their dues, and their customs, and their respect to you, but they will begin to rebel against you. So we see in, in verse 24 of Ezra chapter 4 thus the work of the house of God, which is at Jerusalem, ceased and it was discontinued until the year of the reign of King Darius, king of Persia. So the work on the temple stopped, the work on the temple came to a standstill. Now you imagine, you know, God has given you instructions, you've got your instructions to do something. And because of opposition, you stop. You know, they were beginning to feel discouraged. You can imagine now, you know, this was an abandoned construction site. The weeds would have started growing up. We see a lot of those sites all around Jamaica where they you know they start building and then they stop for years sometimes. The trees would have grown up, the wood that would have been on this site would have started to rot. There would be all kinds of animals living on the site. And I can imagine maybe people would have started stealing some of the materials. The people became idle for God. Remember, there was no temple now. There was no place of worship. Every man was doing what they wanted and they started to rebuild or build their own houses. Nobody was concerned about the work of God and the temple of God anymore. They were in a state of apathy. They had a no-care attitude. They were saying to themselves, it is not time to build the house of God. It is not time yet to do the work of God. At the same time, they were building their own houses. They were beautifying their own houses. And so God, through his prophet Haggai, in Haggai chapter 1, verses 2 to 5, it says, Thus speaketh the Lord of hosts, saying, The people say the time is not come. The time that the Lord's house should be built. Then came the word of the Lord by Haggai the prophet saying, Is it time for you to dwell in your paneled houses? That means your fancy house, your beautiful house, your expensive house, your good house. You know, is it time for you to dwell in your paneled houses? And this house, the house of God, lie in waste. Now therefore, says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Consider your ways. You have sown much, but bring in little. You eat, but you have not enough. You drink, but you are not filled with drink. You clothe yourselves, but you are not warm. And he who earns wages, put it into a bag with holes. God began to withheld or withhold his blessings from them God began to turn his back on them because the people were indifferent to the work of God. The people were neglecting the work of God. The people were saying, it's not time right now to do the work of God. You know, sometimes I feel like I can identify with the fact that when you Go to work and you get your pay. It's like you put it in your pocket with holes. Because as soon as you get it, it seems to disappear. You know, money these days is almost like water. I say to my wife all the time, money is like water. It just seems to be, you know, it just seems to pour away, you know. But I'm not really talking about that. I'm talking about when God is withholding his blessings from you because you are not doing what you are supposed to do. You know, just like just like your, 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 when you have your children, you know, they may, you may give them pocket money or you may give them a reward or gifts, you know, because of their obedience. God does withhold things from us when we are disobedient to him and we are not walking according to his will and according to his purpose and according to his plans. Because he loves us and he wants to discipline us and he wants to correct us and put us on the right path. You know, as we start this new year, this is the second week, the second Sunday in January. I believe it's a time of reflection. A lot of us have made resolutions. We have made many plans for our lives, etc., etc. But a lot of us are saying it is not time yet to do the work of god you know some of us you know i know i don't know anybody in church on the rock but i know people other people you know since the pandemic has started have not been to church and it's not and they're not elderly people you know they're living in fear right now they don't want (laughs) to some of them they they don't even want to go to the supermarket you know they have somebody else do that for them you know but I can see where it's hindering the work of God. And a lot of people are using this pandemic as an excuse, saying this is not time to do the work of God. They're like they're going in hibernation. They're MIA, they're missing in action. But it's amazing that we find time to do everything else. We find time to do everything else. People are still going to school and college and university. They're finding time to study. They're finding time to work. They're finding time for their marriages. They're finding time for vacation. They're finding time for their houses. They're finding time to look after their cars, time for themselves, time to exercise, time for the beach, time for relaxation. They're finding their me time, but they have no quality time or no time for God, no time for the work of God. And sometimes it's not, we don't actually say we don't have no time, but our actions show that we don't make no time for God. Their attitude is, if I feel up to it, I might do it. If I find the time, you know, let me, let me you know, you ask him to do something or, you know, pastor asks him to do something or it's like, oh, well, I'll see if I, I'll see if I have the time. I'll see if I can find the time. You know, but you will never find the time. You have to make the time. You have to make it a priority. A lot of us have a casual attitude to the work of God. In other words, you have no commitment and you have no dedication. God is saying to us this afternoon, consider your ways. Just like He spoke to the people who were neglecting the building of the temple, not because the temple was so big, not because the temple was now so magnificent. But because they were saying it's not time yet to build the the temple or to do the work of God. I'm asking you to consider your ways. Are you putting God first place in your life? Is God in the rightful place in your life this afternoon? Simply, do you love God more than anything else? Is God first place in your life? As we face this corona pandemic, we see what is happening in the world. You know, I have no hope in the world. I have no hope in the world. I look forward to heaven. Heaven is my home. I look forward to heaven. You know, I know that there is no, you know, there's no real hope for us. There's no hope for us here. There's so much evil. There's so much, wicked things going on even when we see what's happening in america right now we thought that they were the country of laws and the country of order and we could depend upon them you know they america is the country they like to run into other nations and if they're doing things that they think are not right even regarding elections they like to intervene and look what's taking place there right now you know in terms of their um, election results God is the only one that can save us and we have to depend upon God. Matthew 6 verse 33 tells us that we should seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto us. You know, I find that we hear the word of God a lot. But some of us ignore it. Some of us neglect the word. Some of us don't take it serious enough. And some of us deliberately disobey So how do we put God first? I'm just going to end with three simple points of how we need to put God first. You know when you're in school when you're in school and you want to do well, you want to pass your exams, you want to please, depending if you're in primary school, you want to please the teacher, you know? Make sure the teacher is happy with you. But if you're in high school you know, you want to pass your exams. And you don't waste any time. You you study, you work hard. I remember when I was going to school, I used to go to Calabar. When I was going to school and school would be over, a lot of my friends, they would be heading to the football field or heading to the track or heading, you know, going playing cricket or whatever. But, you know, I was a little weird. I would go straight home and I would study, right? Cuz I was serious. I wanted to do well. I wanted to get good grades. Right? I remember if, I, you know, if we had an, a, even a church outing going on at the time. I would carry my book with me on the outing. I might not read it, but I carry it because I have the intention that you know, I'm going to find some time to read it. More, more often than not, I didn't find no time, but I would carry it with me. I'd be at home and I'd be watching TV and I'd have my book in my hand. Right? Just in case, like during the advertisement, I'd open my book and be looking in it. Because I wanted to do well. Right? It was a priority for me. I was putting my book first place, my lessons first place. You know, I can give an example of when a, when a guy meets a, a, a girl, or, or a girl meets a guy, and they're dating, and they love each other. They're over the moon, they want to please each other. The person is first place. You spend time with them to the fact where you probably neglect church sometimes. You talk to each other a lot. You listen to each other. You're always talking on the phone when you're not with each other. When you're with each other, you're looking in each other's eyes. You can't wait to be with each other. You buy gifts. You spend a lot of time together. That's when you love the person and you want to be with the person. The person is first place in your life. Now, you can understand that. Now, God needs to be first place in your life. Putting God's first place in your life is very similar to that. The three points I want to give you right now is number one, love God with all your heart. You have to love Him more than anything else. The Bible tells us to love the Lord your God with all your heart, love Him with all your soul, love Him with all your mind. You know, anything can become an idol. If you spend more time, that thing that you spend more time on than anything else can become an idol. You know? I know people that losing weight or exercising is their idol. And I say that even though they won't admit it. I know. I can see it. They get up early every morning to go exercise. When they finish exercising, they go on to the sauna, right? They make sure they eat the right food. They go for their regular checkup to the doctors. They go to bed at a certain time. They don't eat past a certain time of the day. Because and and all they're obsessed with is keeping their body in a certain shape and keeping... On a certain weight. That's the most important thing to them. But ask them how much time they spend in the Word of God. They can't, they can't even say they spend any the time in the Word of God. You know? And that becomes their idol. Anything can become your idol. Just depends on how much time you dedicate to it. Point number two, keep God in the right priority in your life. Today we have so many Distractions so many competing interests. We show God, we show that God is first place in our life by our actions and our habits. I made the point this morning that some people, the first thing they do when they get up in the morning is they're on their phone. They're looking at all their WhatsApp messages. They're looking, you know, some people have the news online, the observer, the gleaner, and whatever other news, CNN or whatever, and that's the first thing they do is they get up there on the phone looking at their messages, and by the time they know it, half an hour is gone. By the time they respond to these messages, you know, <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> when when, when, when Butch Stewart's message, um, news came out, I could hear people, my neighbors, I heard a shout. I heard my neighbor shout out. And it was early in the morning, like about 5.30, you know, I was up and I heard them, look, they were making a big thing of it. You know what I'm saying? You know, I didn't see it, but I mean, they saw it because they were on their news at that time of the morning, you know? And it was a big thing. I can imagine that, you know, it must have distracted them for the rest of the day. I'm not saying the person, he was an important person, yes. But I'm saying, you know, I don't believe and I don't Think that the first thing that you should do in the morning when you get up is go on your WhatsApp or go on your phone to see what messages you you have. The first thing I believe you should do is talk to God. Seek the face of God. Because by the time you read those messages, you are distracted for the rest of the day. Unless you're going on there for devotions. We've got to read the word of God regularly. We've got to pray. We've got to obey the word. And one of the things that I believe is that we hear the word, but we are not doing the word. You know, if you come to church 50 times out of the year or 40 times out of the year, and you obey even 10 of those, you you do even 10 of those messages, I'm sure you'd be much, much more advanced in your Christian walk than you are today. But a lot of us, we hear the word, but we are not actually doing the word. We're neglecting the word. Make it a habit and a priority to read the word, to pray, and to obey the word of God. Number three, keep God intimate in your life. Let him in every area of your life. Some of us, we have God in some areas of our lives, and in other areas, God doesn't even exist. We lock him out of some areas of our lives. You know, it might be some people who, you know, they say they are Christians. And the, Yes, there are Christians, and then they have this relationship with an unsaved person, and you can't even talk to them about it, because they're, clo- they're closed off. They don't want to hear no, no advice. They want nobody to tell them that they're doing the wrong thing. They're being unequally yoked with an unbeliever. They don't want to hear, because you've closed God off from that area of your life. And sometimes we may be doing things, and we don't want... It's almost like that's a separate compartment, and God doesn't have anything to do with that. Everything else is fine, but we've closed God off from that area of our life. Consider your ways. Is God first? As we go into the new, as we continue rather into this new year, God must be first place in our lives. We need to put God first place. I want us now just to consider your ways. Consider what I've said I want us just to close our eyes and just to meditate a bit on what God may be saying to you this morning. You know, just like the the children of God, when they started to neglect the rebuilding of the temple, God sent his prophet Haggai to say to them, Consider your ways consider your ways and i say consider your ways and to put god first god must be first place in your life no matter what state of your life you are in and only you know what state you're in only you know the areas in your life where you need to put him first you may be here this morning and you have never given your life to jesus that's one way that you can put God first in your life. That's the first way that you need to put God first in your life, to accept him as your Lord and your personal Savior. This is a great time to give your life to the Lord at the beginning of the year. where to, to set your life on the right path. The Bible tells us, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. If you're here this morning and you've never given your life to to Jesus, I want you and you want to give your life to the Lord, I would implore you to do that this morning. As everyone has their eyes closed, I just want you to put your hands up so we can see you, so we can pray with you. Amen. I see that hand. Jesus, Father, we thank you. Anybody else here who you know that God is speaking to you? You know that God is plodding at your heart. God is saying... You need to consider your ways. You need to put him first. Only you know where you need to put him first. Only you know what's happening in your life. Only you know what you need to give up so that God can be first place in your life. Let God just speak to you right now. and You can speak to God right now and say, Lord, I want you to be first place in my life. I want to serve you in the right way. I want to put you in the rightful place. As we pray... I'd like us to even make a further step. If you believe you, you want us to, to pray for you right now, even the young man that raised his hand to accept Jesus, if you'd like to come forward so we can pray with you, if you believe that you want us to pray with you as you, you, you rededicate your life to God and put him, to put him first place in your life, I just invite you to come to the altar right now so that we can pray with you. Amen. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for your goodness. Father, we thank you for your presence. We thank you for your Holy Spirit that convicts us. Father, we thank you for your love, that you love us with an everlasting love. Father, as we have heard your words, we pray that your words will continue to speak to us in a convincing and in a special way. Father, Lord, we, we just commit everything into your hands. We pray that your healing touch would come over our lives we pray that you would bless us we pray that you would lead us we pray that you would guide us we pray father that we would put you first place in our lives in everything that we do father god we as we leave this place we pray for your protection lord keep us and guide us through this week use us for your honor and for your glory Thank you for what you're going to do. Father, prepare us and get us ready for your mighty work. Help us, Lord, to just seek your face every single day. To put you in the rightful place in our lives. We thank you, O God. We pray your blessing upon this church. We pray your blessing upon each person here this afternoon. We glorify your holy and matchless name as we give you praise. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen.